0: And so I didn't know till just now there was going to be two sermons this morning. There's not a mix-up in the preaching schedule. I just mean uh, those songs are wonderful, and they actually, you'll see once we get into the Word, most of it is the outline of my message, and it's the Lord's Supper today. Uh, So truly in this service, we get to sing the Word, pray the Word, hear the Word, preach the Word, see the Word. That's what we want to do when we're together. Um, but before I uh, give a message that is a message of hope, I'm, I'm calling it Hope for Eternity, I just want to share a story uh, from last spring. Shortly after quarantine, an acquaintance invited me to his patio to enjoy some conversation. And we, you know we had talked some in the past, but didn't know each other well. But we then really hit it off, and we've hung out about half a dozen or so times since then. And you know how some of these conversations go, they sort of just meander from like, pop culture, Gator sports, but then suddenly you're talking about raising your families, even politics and religion. And I've learned we see eye to eye on some things, but not so much on other things. But I I do appreciate that he always remains respectful and engaged. He's a good model for that. But one night I was surprised when he suddenly identified himself as a Christian. And he's very nice, but based on what we had discussed, I, I didn't think he would have said that. But as we talked more about that, uh, it, it was quickly confirmed why I was surprised. Uh, his understanding of Christianity well, was different than mine. Uh, he he emphasized that there must be much that we cannot know, uh, including about salvation itself, and we we can't really be sure that Jesus is the only way. And I agreed insofar as as finite humans, there's some things we don't know, <laughs> but I emphasize that I think God's been really clear in the Bible, uh, telling us what we need to know about Himself and ourselves uh, in order to be in a right relationship with Him, and then ultimately to, to be saved. Um, you know, Saved from what? Well, I, it was probably kind of sloppy in the moment, but in the few moments we had left, and, and He remained polite. I just kind of like a fire hydrant, started saying what I could about the gospel. I I said some things about God has rightful reign over His creation, especially over us as His image bearers, but that we have, including me, all rebelled against Him in some way, that that severed relationship. And the terrible situation that leaves us in is waiting eventual final judgment. But I, I jumped over, of course, to the good news, which is that that's exactly why Uh, Jesus came to rescue his people out of that predicament and to reconcile us to God. And so, the good news is that whoever humbles himself and turns from their sin to God, uh, that is to repent, trusting in Christ alone for salvation, well, that person will have God's wrath averted. It will be turned away from them. They'll have their sins forgiven. The Holy Spirit will come to live inside of them and begin to change them and continue into eternity in right relationship with God. And he listened politely, but was not persuaded. And the conversation drifted into more trivial things, but I'm still praying for him. But the reason why I wanted to bring this up about hope is at one point we were talking about something rather weighty, uh, the troubled state of our nation, and, and he acknowledged the trouble. And I just asked him point blank. I said, you know, in the face of this trouble, you know, you seem really well-adjusted. Where do you place your hope? And his, his answer was something like this, well, there's still so much good. There's the, the beauty of nature and we're, the advances of technology and medicine. We're still building rockets. He, he kind of humorously said, uh, you know, even though there's lawlessness in some segments of society, most people do not careen their cars onto my yard doing donuts with their tires. I kind of laughed and said, you know, that's, that's true, and you know, I, I certainly agree as a Christian, there's a proper place for enjoying God's common grace, right? He causes the rain to fall on the just and the unjust. We can enjoy a sunset, friendships, good food, good music. Uh, you know, Louis Armstrong famously sang, What a Wonderful World, you know, the colors of the rainbow, babies crying growing up, um, friends shaking hands, saying, How do you do? They're really saying, I love you. You know, so those are, there's some delight in that. But as I thought about it, I just was a little sad that as my friend described his hope, the height was like the, the ingenuity of humans and the best that we can muster now in this world, in a, this world that is a, a polluted mixture of beauty and brokenness. So have you ever asked yourself, is there something more than this? Does it get better? You know, can it get better? And as Christians who believe the Bible, we do have to begin by acknowledging the futility of placing our hope ultimately uh, in this world. Uh, You may know the Apostle Paul's statement to the Corinthians If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. The Apostle Peter, uh, speaking of the return of the Lord Jesus, wrote But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works on it will be exposed. So actually this morning, whether you're a Christian or not, my question is the same for all of us. In what or in whom do you place your ultimate hope? And and as you envision it, how do you color that canvas? What does it look like? And my prayer is that we will all place our hope in the eternal life that can be found only in Christ, and that as we look at some Scriptures, as we think of eternity in, in our minds, the color of that canvas will be colored in by the riches that are in God's Word. So, there's really three things I want us to see from the Scriptures this morning about our hope for eternity. And we've, we've sung about them. One is that we will, we will feast. Uh, number two is that we will be free from sin and its effects. And number three is that we will live with our Savior and His people face to face forever. And those are all great reasons for hope. So, let's begin with we will feast. Uh, Open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26. This is the, the first of four Gospel accounts, the first book of the New Testament, and where we're parachuting in, this is Jesus instituting the Last Supper with His disciples, So we're going to be in Matthew chapter 26, and I'm going to read verses 26 through 29. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day, when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. Bearing in mind what we just heard from Matthew, I'm going to quote Paul again to the Corinthians. He said, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So, we were talking about this in our Chapel Life group the other week. Communion, in one sense, it involves uh, past and present dimensions. Uh, we are remembering what Christ accomplished for us. It's a wonderful opportunity to examine ourselves, uh, be introspective, confess our sins, and think of in, in fresh ways of the great cost of our redemption, which is the life and the blood of the Son of God. But what I'm wanting to see here is that Jesus says, until that day. And Paul says, until he comes. So there was always also at the outset a a forward-looking component that was meant to give us hope that we will feast with Jesus in heaven. And this has been God's plan, his ultimate plan all along. And it's been the hope of his people all along. One way to see that Actually, turn over now to your Old Testament, to the book of Isaiah. We're going to go to Isaiah chapter 25. When you get to chapter 25, we'll, we'll look at verses 6 through 9, uh, but I trust you'll immediately recognize the connection between Jesus' prophecy about us drinking with Him new in His Father's kingdom and what we see that Isaiah wrote about long ago. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he'll, he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. This, this text is, is majestic. And I'll just note that some of these phrases transport our minds to the book of Revelation, right? I mean, we see phrases like death being swallowed up, God wiping away our tears, and of course, feasting, which is a pointer to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, I know your fingers are somewhat warmed up flipping through, but we'll settle in the rest of our time, actually, in the book of Revelation. Uh, So, let's go there now to Revelation chapter 19. That's the, the last book of the Bible, so if you just go to the back and flip a few pages in, you'll, you'll be close. <laughs> Revelation chapter 19. When you get to 19, I will. Uh, ironically, this is also verses 6 through 9, just like the Isaiah passage. Okay, beginning in verse 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give Him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and His bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. So to summarize this this point that we will feast, Jesus tells us he will drink with us new in his Father's kingdom. Isaiah says it will be a feast with rich food and well-aged wine. And here John, through the angel, tells us that We are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb, and we will be blessed. And this evokes much praise and rejoicing. That's a cause for for much hope. Turn two chapters over now to Revelation chapter 21. And here we will see the the final two points, that we will be free from sin and and its effects, And that we will live with our Savior and each other face to face. So in chapter 21, I'm I'm going to begin by reading the first five verses. So, Chapter 21, verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband, Also, he said, "Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true." Now, in the verses that immediately follow, John's vision describes this holy city, its dimensions, and great, dazzling detail. It's it's perfect. It's holy. It's pure. But I'm going to pick up toward the end of chapter 21, starting in verse 22. This will be our final passage. So, chapter 21, verse 22. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, amen. So we will be free from sin and its effects. If you see in chapter 21, verse 27, it it says that nothing unclean enters the city. Uh, And and this is reinforced in chapter 22, verse 3, no longer will there be anything accursed, not even a a cosmic curse. You might have picked up that there's a reference to the, the tree of life Uh, You know, you recall that Adam and Eve were were cast out of the garden and the tree of life was then guarded by God with a a flaming sword and the cherubim, the sword turning every which way. Uh, The consequence of man's sin is being out of God's presence. And in some ways, God is saying, you will not latch on to everlasting life on your own terms. If it'll happen, it must be on my terms. But for those whom God qualifies by grace, to share in the inheritance and brings with them into heaven, then we see here the tree of life is, is on full display. It's fully accessible, fully available uh, for the, the healing of the nations. There is no sin in heaven. And even the effects of sin we are freed from. I'll just read again chapter 21, verse 4. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. You know, of course, in this life now, every form of pain, suffering, and sadness that we experience is in some way owing to sin. Uh, It's often our own sin, or it can be the sin of others directly to us. It can even be the ripple effect when somebody sins against someone else who we love. If someone is abused. They they suffer the most immediate harm, acutely so. But those who love that person, they also experience pain as we weep with those who weep. Even the creation itself, uh, Paul would say in Romans, is in bondage to corruption. So, hurricanes, other natural disasters, sickness, uh, pandemics, our own sin, uh, we won't experience the effects of these anymore. Um, and it's not just that we're left in a neutral state. I read from Peter earlier on in, in this message, and that's in that same section, Peter says, according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. So it's free of sin, but it's full of righteousness. You know, in heaven, we're not on puffy clouds, like in, in clean diapers playing a harp in a dainty fashion. It's, it's full of activity and, and praise. You know, uh, and I confess, my own sin is a constant source of trouble in my life. I, I imagine you can identify in your life. That's why I love um, the last verse of Come Thou Fount. On that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face. Full arrayed in blood-washed linen, how I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry. Bring thy promises to pass, for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last. So There's just so much promise and hope in that. Um, and one day, brothers and sisters, there will, that will be our ongoing experience. We'll be free, complete freedom from our own sin and the sin of others and all of its effects. But also, we will live with our Savior and His people face to face. It says here in chapter 22, verse 4 of Revelation, they will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. You know, in some sense, the focus of heaven is not so much a a geographical location as much as it is presence with a person, uh, the Lamb of God. You you see in chapter 21, verse 22, it says there's no temple in the city. Well, if you think about that for a moment, what does the temple signify in the Old Testament and the history of Israel? It's where God's presence was. It's where God dwelt. And the reason there's no temple in this holy city is because the Lord himself is the temple. And since we will be there, we will be more fully present with the Lord in that day than we can ever experience or dream of while here. Uh, the, The proximity uh, to the lord's glory and radiance that we see in these verses in revelation it, it's so intimate and intense that the city has no need of sun or moon uh, we we need no light or lamp or sun the god will be our light even the river is is bright as crystal so the, the whole spectacle is beaming with brightness that emanates from the lord's presence with us and we will see his face and we know he'll, he'll see ours. He's, he's personally wiping away every tear from our eyes. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. You notice it says with them. So we will also be with each other and all the saints. When I reference the healing of the nations in Revelation 22, that harkens back to Revelation chapter 7, where we read of people before the throne and before the Lamb from every nation, uh, tribe, people, and language. It says here that, all, that His servants will worship Him. It's a community ordeal. So, our eternal hope promises a diverse community of blood-bought saints worshiping in perfect harmony and unity. Just ask yourself, can the world as we know it offer that? But is it right to desire it? No, the world can't bring that about. Yes, it's right to desire it. It's coming uh, for God's people. That brings me hope. I hope it brings you hope. So there's much that could be said, but the three things I'm wanting us to highlight are that we will feast, we will be freed from sin and its effects And we will live with each other and our Savior face to face forever. Just a couple of uh, uh, closing remarks that I I hope you'll find helpful. You know, I think even at times we as Christians, like my friend that I described at the beginning, can neglect to anchor our eternal hope in God. Uh, You know, I think there's different reasons that can be. Maybe we just need to meditate on these scriptures more and see the encouragement that's there. But, you know, one could also be this— You know, someone may question, well, if we're too focused on what's in the distance, we'll get sidetracked from what matters here in the present. You know, you might have heard, you don't want to be so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. (laughs) Well, I actually think that if we as the redeemed people of God stake our very lives on the eternal life we've been considering, that it bolsters life here now. Um, What does that do to the urgency of our evangelism? Uh, the robustness of love for our neighbors. We understand they have eternal souls, and we care about where they go because God cares about them, and God has loved us. We want to do our work with integrity because we know it's unto the king we will live with face-to-face and not ultimately to our human authority. The hope there gives us strength for today. And uh, The Apostle Paul, set your minds on things that are above not on things that are on earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ who is your life appears, then you, will, then you also will appear with him in glory. And that's, that's the same Paul who wrote to Timothy that he was being poured out like a drink offering and that he had run the race and he had fought the good fight. He wasn't idle. He worked because he was heavenly minded. So one final uh, reminder to my fellow Christians and even an appeal to those of you who may not be a Christian. The path to this eternal life that we've been considering is not charted or traversed on our own terms. It's a narrow path and it can only be on God's terms. Uh, Mark's gospel records Jesus as saying for whoever would save his life will lose it But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. What does that mean, you may ask? How does one do that? Well, first, I'm sure any Christian sitting nearby you today would be happy to have that conversation with you after the service. Uh, As Christians, we are always to be prepared to give a reason for the hope that we have. And, and, And we are to do it with gentleness and respect, so we won't be obnoxious. But just quickly, To do that, you must be born again, which means you must surrender to God's rightful reign in your life, admitting your guilt before him, but rejoicing at the forgiveness and salvation found for you in Jesus alone. Any Christian here will also tell you that we don't stop sinning here, but we have a perpetual advocate with the Father who pardons us 24-7. And there is a day as we looked at in Revelation, where we will no longer sin. Uh, Any Christian here will also tell you there's a cost. You have to take up your cross daily. You you will suffer some form of suffering uh, on account of Christ. But what I would say is this. When you're there around the throne of the Lamb with all the saints and the angels for thousands upon thousands of years, I don't think you will regret for a second losing your life in this age to gain it in that age forever. It's worth it. So Christians, as as we partake of the Lord's Supper together, let's be encouraged not only by remembering what Christ already accomplished, but by celebrating what is yet to come and how the Supper points to it. As we feast today, let's anticipate the feast that'll never end. Let's be heartened by the fact that sin and death are destroyed. And we want to be those, uh, as it's described, as those who long for his appearing. For when he appears, we will be with him and each other, uh, always and forever.